Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, June 9th, we are studying Jeremiah chapter 15, verses 1 to 21, as the Lord once again speaks through the prophet to tell his people that he will not turn back the disaster coming upon them. Jeremiah laments before the Lord and receives strength from the Lord to continue in faithful ministry. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us the Reverend Dr. Thomas Egger. Dr. Egger serves as president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Dr. Egger, welcome to Sharper Iron. Great to be with you this morning. It's glad to have you. What a privilege it is to have you with us to study Jeremiah. We're in chapter 15 this morning, Dr. Egger. What should we know about the prophet, his ministry, the context within the book as we get started today? Right. Well, Jeremiah um, was a prophet um, during one of the most painful times in the history of God's people. Um, God had, of course, chosen the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be his his special people, his his prized possession, and the people through whom he would bring blessings to all the earth. He had rescued them from Egypt, the slavery in Egypt. He had given them his good law and commandments and given them um, his name and a way of approaching him in worship through sacrifice and priestly mediation and blood atonement so that the sinful people could dwell near this holy God. And he had planted them in the land. Uh, He had given them the land promised uh, um, long before to their forefather Abraham. He had settled them there after they came out of of Egypt, and they had dwelled there in the land from uh, around 1400 B.C., probably, um, until the days of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah um, lives, his ministry takes place um, shortly before and shortly after 600 B.C., and during that time, um, the land of Israel, the people of Israel, are under great threat by foreign enemies. Um, Egypt is a power to the south, and uh, the great empire of Babylon is a power to the northeast. And um, Israel had always dwelled under threat of foreign powers, but now um, God himself has declared that he is acting in history, and he is going to be bringing judgment on his people because of their persistent idolatry and stubborn unfaithfulness and disobedience for generation after generation. Um, One of the key verses that we'll see in this passage in chapter 15 is God is going to say, I am weary of relenting. He has been long-suffering and patient and gracious and forgiving um, for a very long time. And yet his warnings have been, if the people continue to turn away and worship other gods and abandon faithfulness to the true God who has 
who has uh, claimed them and redeemed them, um, then disaster will come. And in the days of Jeremiah, that disaster is coming. So our chapter takes place uh, in the midst of a lot of chapters that have proceeded that have been revolving around the same theme. God is warning that the time of judgment is coming on his people. And he is... um, He's speaking that word of warning through Jeremiah, who has to be the messenger of this this uh, this bitter news for God's people. We get to see a picture of Jeremiah's weariness as well. When toward the end of the chapter, one of those sections in which Jeremiah laments, he prays, and you see the the pain that he endures as well, being this messenger undergoing the the persecution that he does and just you know mourning for his people knowing what's going to happen to them in the exile in terms of the the way the the text breaks down when i was laying out the series you know a lot of times it was very easy just to go chapter by chapter but i do think there's a bit of a carryover between what we looked at yesterday in chapter 14 and what we had today in yesterday's text we we saw both words from the Lord and prayer from Jeremiah and the people. And chapter 14 ended with one of those prayers, a confession of guilt and wickedness, asking God for help. And so today's chapter starts with the Lord speaking. It sounds to me, and you could you could tell me if you think otherwise, Dr. Eger, but it sounds like that chapter 15 is falling right on the heels of 14 and that the Lord is now going to answer the prayer from yesterday's text. Yes, and, and like you say, chapter 14, it ends with what seems like um, a perfect prayer on the part of Jeremiah. He's interceding for the people. He is not only a prophet who is um, bringing to them God's stern word of warning um, um, and reminding them um, that they have forsaken their gracious, loving God with dire consequences, but he also is speaking to God regularly on behalf of the people, and he is crying out to God to to have mercy. And the way that he does that at the end of chapter uh, at the end of chapter 14 is is very significant, right? He is um, he's acknowledging his sinfulness and the people's sinfulness and the sinfulness of their fathers. So he's acknowledging that that God's rebuke that they have been persistently rebellious for generations is true. And yet he says, uh, don't disgrace the throne of your glory, he says to God. In other words, the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies in the temple, don't don't bring shame to your own house and your own dwelling with your people uh, by carrying out this threat of, of foreign uh, conquest by foreigners. And he says, remember your covenant with us. And he even pleads at the very end, are you not he, our God? Our hope is in you, right? He acknowledges that God is their only hope, and it seems like the perfect prayer. Um, and yet um, God's mercy finally is found not even with the praying of the perfect prayer or the perfect theology. And at this time in history, the hour of judgment has come, and at least uh, um, a time of great chastening is now inescapable. And so our chapter is going to begin with, in a sense, God's, uh, again, surprising refusal of Jeremiah's plea and prayer. We expect that God will always um, always say, um, yes, I will have mercy and I will relent. But at this point in history, which is why this is such a shocking uh, scene and shocking moment in the history of ancient Israel, this is the time when God did not relent. 
and uh, where he finally sent great destruction. And so this is the conversation that's leading up to that destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians, and they're going into exile. And so God's uh, words, as we open up into this text, are words where he's saying, no, I will not listen to your intercession. The judgment is coming. Let's pick up those words from the Lord in Jeremiah chapter 15, beginning, beginning of the first verse. Then the Lord said to me, though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn toward this people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. And when they ask you, where shall we go? You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, those who are for pestilence to pestilence and those who are for the sword to the sword, those who are for famine to famine and those who are for captivity to captivity. I will appoint over them four kinds of destroyers, declares the Lord, the sword to kill, the dogs to tear and the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. And I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth because of what Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem. Who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem, or who will grieve for you? Who will turn aside to ask about your welfare? You have rejected me, declares the Lord. You keep going backward. So I have stretched out my hand against you and destroyed you. I am weary of relenting. I have winnowed them with a winnowing fork in the gates of the land. I have bereaved them. I have destroyed my people. They did not turn from their ways. I have made their widows more in number than the sands of the sea. I have brought against the mothers of young men a destroyer at noonday. I have made anguish and terror fall upon them suddenly. She who bore seven has grown feeble. She has fainted away. Her son went down while it was yet day. She has been shamed and disgraced, and the rest of them I will give to the sword before their enemies, declares the Lord. That's verses 1 through 9 of chapter 15. Dr. Egger, the very first verse in the Lord's response, he brings up Moses and Samuel and says, if they were the ones standing before me praying, I still wouldn't listen. Why why these two men? Why Moses and Samuel is the two examples that the Lord brings up here? Right. Well, Moses, uh, in particular, was a famous intercessor in Israel's history. You'll recall that um, he stood there at Mount Sinai when God actually appeared visibly with great, uh, great uh, phenomena surrounding his coming, fire and lightning and thunder and cloud. And uh, God actually was uh, there in the sight of the people at the top of the mountain. And the text says that Moses would speak and God would answer him in thunder. And the people would actually, actually saw there on that day, they actually heard God speaking from the mountain to Moses and to them. And, and God would continue to speak to Moses. Uh, so he, Moses was the great, um, the great confidant, you could say, with God. He spoke with God like uh, face-to-face, like, like a man speaks with his friend. And, uh, and in a crucial moment in Israel's history, in particular, after the rebellion of the golden calf, God was ready to destroy the people. Um, he had just brought them out of, of Egypt and given them good commands, including the very clear command, you shall have no other gods. Don't make images or bow down to them or worship them, but worship the Lord alone. And uh, within, uh, within just uh, um, days, Moses had gone up onto the mountain to speak with the Lord, and the people had built for themselves an idol and were worshiping it, sacrificing it to it, dancing around it. And God was incensed 
and ready to destroy the people, but Moses pleaded with him. And in fact, Moses' prayer was not unlike Jeremiah's prayer um, from the end of chapter 14. Remember your covenant. Um, don't bring shame to the glory of your name and uh, by, by destroying your own people. But God listened to Moses. He had mercy. And so Moses was um, well remembered as the one who, much like Christ our Savior uh, pleads with God the Father on behalf of, uh, of his people. Moses pled on behalf of his people, and God heard him. And Samuel also, at a couple of key in, uh, um, instances in Israel's history, he pleads to the Lord, and it says that the Lord heard him. Um, in one instance, the, the Philistines were attacking vulnerable Israel, and Samuel interceded, and it says, and the Lord answered him, and he confused the Philistines with thunder and and uh, and uh, um, threw them into a, a, a funk and fear, and the Israelites routed them. And again, during a time of drought, um, Samuel called upon the Lord, and it's then the text says in First Samuel 12 that same day. God sent thunder and rain, so the people stood in awe of the Lord and Samuel. They knew that Samuel speaks, and God uh, God grants his requests on behalf of the people. And so they held Samuel in great regard as an intercessor before the Lord. And so the, the word of the Lord then to Jeremiah here is that even if you had these two greatest intercessors in the history of Israel, even if they were standing here at this moment in history— that time for grace has passed. This is the, the hour of judgment. Yeah, don't don't take it personally, Jeremiah. <laughs> it's not <laughs> you, it's me, God is saying, right? Uh, the time of my judgment has come, and it doesn't matter what prophet um, is pleading on behalf of the people. Uh, judgment is now coming. I mean, that's a really horrifying word from God. You know, he's, he said in the previous chapter, don't pray for them because I'm not going to yes. listen. And now he's he's fulfilling that word right here in chapter 15. You know, I think for us as Christians today, we, we hear something like that. and we, we are shocked. That was the word you used earlier. What do we what do we make of that as Christians? Yeah, well, it is a shocking word. I can remember. um I can remember one time uh, teaching a youth confirmation class when I was a pastor in Northwest Iowa, and we were just talking about, um, I guess, the unfolding of Israel's history. I can't remember what text we were looking at or exactly what topic, but we were talking about how in the Old Testament, God destroys, at least for a time, his own chosen beloved people. He brings a foreign army and he surrounds them and decimates them and destroys the, the city where they live, destroys even his own holy temple where they worshipped him and, and had them carted off into um, shameful imprisonment for decades. And it's, it's really an unthinkable thing that God would do this to his own people. And yet, this is a part of his story of salvation. He is a God who is um, long-suffering and patient, um, but he's also a God who truly punishes sin and takes sin very seriously. And I can remember having that, uh, telling the story with them, and I don't know if I hadn't been getting enough sleep that week or what, but I found myself actually with tears running down my face uh, as I was uh, talking about that that our God, the true God who loves us so, um, is also the God who truly punishes sin. 
and his judgment is is a real thing. Uh, he is the holy God, and what we have the, the wreck that we have made of the world, even the wreck that we make of our own lives in so many ways, and the harm that we bring, the hurt that we bring by our sinfulness and wretchedness into the lives of others. God is a God who takes that very seriously, and uh, and though it grieves Him uh, to punish um, the children of men, and He does not desire um, that they continue in rebellion and and fall under His judgment. Um, divine judgment is real, and there will be divine judgment on the last day for all um, who are not shielded by the blood and the saving work of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our greatest intercessor. I mean, so I suppose for us today, as we think about a text like this and the the harshness of God's words, it, at least for me, it, it reminds me of, of the way that the New Testament talks about that today is the day of salvation. That, that right. while, or I think Isaiah, you know, similarly talks about call upon God while he is near, while he's there listening to you, speak to him cry out to him, yes. repent now, because this day will come eventually. Yes, there is a day when God's patience comes to an end. And he, he has not told us what the date of that day is, but he has told us that it's coming soon. And so um, we should take that warning seriously, not only for ourselves, but for for our loved ones and our neighbors. Um, we should be mindful that um, everyone needs desperately the the full and free saving work of Jesus Christ um, for them, and they need to hear that news. Um, that's why God has has um, commissioned us to go and and make disciples uh, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them uh, the salvation and the ways of the Lord. Yeah, I mean, in in contrast to what the Lord says here in Jeremiah 15, that even even if Moses and Samuel were there praying that he would not answer them. I mean, the verses in the New Testament come to mind that speak of Jesus as our intercessor, the one who prays for us before the Father. Or in, I think it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul says that all of God's promises find their yes in him. And so we speak amen in him. That's right. I mean, I think that's the urgency of this good news that we have. Look for your hope in Jesus right now, because the Lord is listening to him don't wait. Here's here's the good news. It's for you. Rejoice in it. Believe it now. Yes, that's that's absolutely right. And the Father will not say no to the Son's intercessions. However, on one occasion, the Lord did, and it reminds me a little bit of this interaction uh, that's going on here in Jeremiah, when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, Father. Um, may this cup pass from me. And he was talking about his own upcoming suffering where God would judge the sins of all the world in the flesh of Jesus Christ on the cross. And, um, and Jesus prayed, may this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And the father, um, the father did not say, yes, you may avoid the cross and Jesus graciously accepted that answer and willingly went to the cross for us. And what happens on the cross to our Lord Jesus is precisely what's happening in history here to Jerusalem. 
the place of God's glory, the place where he's caused his name to dwell, his his throne of glory in the midst of his people. That's the temple in Jerusalem that's about to be destroyed by the by the by the Babylonians and on the cross, um, the greater temple, our Lord Jesus, uh, he is being destroyed. He is being sacrificed for the sins of the world and divine judgment is falling on him. Sometimes um, the destruction of Jerusalem is um, is connected theologically with Holy Saturday, the day after Good Friday, when Jesus is resting in the tomb dead. And uh, and it's it's uh, connected with the time in history where God destroyed Jerusalem and his temple and it lay in ruins. It's a, a time. It's a time of awesome somberness and realization of just the great cost of human sin before God um, and, and the severity of divine judgment. And yet, as we know, uh, that's not the end of the story for Judah and Jerusalem. And that was not the end of the story for our Lord Jesus. Um, through judgment, God is uh, God will yet have mercy. And that's the story of, uh, of Israel's history. Um, the destruction of Jerusalem, while it's definitely coming, he announces here in this chapter. Um, he also reminds people through Jeremiah and other passages that that will not be the end. Uh, and a season of mercy will come on its heels. Right. Yeah. And Jeremiah, that's why we have to read him all together. It's a long book, but we need those other passages as well to to hear the fullness of what God is doing through Jeremiah. Here in this text, we do have this great warning. And as the, the verses continue, the Lord begins to describe through Jeremiah what exactly is going to happen. And it's it's not a pretty picture. Just about no. any way you can think to die, you can die. And that's what's going right. to happen, the Lord says. Right, and it's the theme has been one of famine in the preceding chapter, drought and famine, and so that's mentioned. But the upcoming warning is that these invading armies uh, will be coming, and uh, and um, in history the Babylonians came in three great incursions against Jerusalem and finally um, raised it to the ground in in uh, five <clears throat> excuse me five eighty seven B C. And uh, so the language of sword and the language of exile is uh, is connected to what's coming, and the language of famine uh, is connected to what they've already been experiencing. In in verse four, the Lord brings up the reason for this. He says that this is going to happen because of what Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem. Now, I mean, we know that Jeremiah's ministry began under the reign of King Josiah. We've talked about that historical context from Josiah on to the end of the kingdom of Judah in 587-86 BC. Manasseh comes before that. What? Give us a little bit of that historical context. What was so bad about the reign of Manasseh that the Lord brings it up here in chapter 15? Right. Well, in, in earthly terms, Manasseh was an impressive king. He, he brought about political stability for the people uh, by allying with strong foreign powers, at least for a time. 
Um, he had a long and stable reign, 55 years he reigned in Jerusalem. And so in earthly terms, um, in terms of, you know, what uh, maybe Joe Schmo on the street would think when he went to the ballot box to reelect uh, Manasseh every four years. They, of course, didn't do that. But uh, <laughs> but had they done that, uh, he may well have been reelected. Uh, he um, he was in earthly terms, uh, apparently a strong and stable leader. And yet, um, in this passage, God rebukes Manasseh and his reign as being the point in Israel's history where finally the, t- uh, the people's wickedness reached its tipping point. And God really looks back to that and says to Jeremiah, Yes, there continue to be ups and downs, and right now uh, Josiah is a faithful king. Um, uh, The boy king Josiah um, um, was a reforming king who sought to return the people to the exclusive worship of the Lord. But Manasseh um, was such such a stench in God's nostrils, such an offense before divine holiness. That, that Israel's fate was sealed, in a sense. God's decree was made already at that time that judgment will come because of Manasseh. And in particular, Manasseh encouraged the worship of foreign gods. He did not insist on the exclusive worship of the Lord in the place where God had, um, had commanded them to come before him in worship, that is, in his holy house in Jerusalem. Instead, he rebuilt the high places throughout the land, little shrines of worship um, all dotted uh, across the land. He was, he, by, by many people, he pro- they probably thought that was great. Um, here was a religiously tolerant king who um, who supported their popular versions of religion, even though they um, they violated God's will and God's order and God's commands. Um, here was a king who was willing to go along with it, and even worse, um, he he populated um, the city of Jerusalem and even the temple itself with the idols of foreign gods and altars of sacrifice devoted to foreign gods, um, false gods. And uh, this, was, um, this was political calculation in part, uh, I'm sure, in, in Manasseh's mind that he would um, strengthen ties with foreign allies by sharing in the worship and promoting the worship of their gods, their national deities. But uh, this was precisely what God had forbidden, and it was soul-destroying for Manasseh and for his people. And the Bible makes clear that the people went along with this. Uh, Manasseh seduced them. Um, uh, The Old Testament uses that language. He led them astray, and he seduced them into this false worship so that they willingly participated in the sins of Manasseh. And... uh, for that reason, um, um, he's named here as the cause of this judgment that's coming. And and the Lord will continue to talk about that judgment here in Jeremiah 15, and we'll pick up more of that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO, talking Jeremiah chapter 15 with Dr. Thomas Egger. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
the mission field isn't just overseas anymore. It's right here in your own backyard. If English isn't the first language of your neighbor or friend, and you'd like to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them in their own language, contact the Lutheran Heritage Foundation at lhfmissions.org. LHF has translated and published the small catechism, children's Bible stories, hymnals, and devotions into 85 different languages and gives them free of charge to those who need them. LHFmissions.org. Hi, this is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Are you an investor looking to support the bold and loving work of LCMS churches? Is your church or organization ready to do bold and loving work? This year, we have a ripe opportunity to bring Christ to a hurting world. Discover the role you can play in this great work. Call 800-843-5233 or visit lcef.org. That's 800-843-5233, lcef.org. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, June 9th. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 15, verses 1 to 21 with Dr. Thomas Egger. He's the president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Dr. Egger, beginning in verse 5, the Lord speaks. And there's, there's a lot there that we can talk about. As I was reading it out loud, one of the things that struck me is the way in verses 5 and 6, the Lord is speaking to Jerusalem, who will have pity on you you have rejected me. You are doing these things until there's almost like a transition at the end of verse six. You mentioned it earlier. I am weary of relenting. And then after that, instead of the Lord talking to Jerusalem, he's talking about them. So I have winnowed them. I have bereaved them. Instead of saying you, now he's speaking about them in the third person. That that struck me as a, again, it's just I was reading it out loud as a, a moment of, just seeing where the Lord's judgment is leading them. And the, you see it just in the grammar of the rejection that the Lord's bringing upon his people. What's there in those, those verses five through nine, as the Lord now speaks to and about his people. Yeah, well, that's a good observation. Um, he's, he's distancing himself. You might say from them by that shift, uh, talking about them uh, in the third person, um, whereas he's speaking personally to, uh, to, Jeru- to uh, Jeremiah in verses 5 through 6. Um, well, he's, he's saying, when all of this happens, who's going to have pity on you? Um, and the implied answer is no one. Um, none of these foreign powers who uh, Judah has constantly been enticed by as a greater source of security and uh, and strength than the Lord. They've turned away um, from the Lord and his provision and his exclusive uh, worship. Instead of leaning on him, they've leaned on foreign powers. And yet in the day of calamity, are they really going to pity uh, Jude and Jerusalem? No. Um, but even more devastating is this, the uh, the the rhetorical question implies at least that God himself is not going to pity them or grieve for them. And, uh, and that is, that's the stern word of judgment. Of course, we know um, from other passages in Scripture, and we know um, even from Jeremiah's own reaction as the man of God who also speaks for God. Um, God speaks for himself in this passage, but, but the reaction of Jeremiah in this passage and others um, also speaks for the Lord. And Jeremiah weeps over the destruction of his people. And we see that fulfilled even uh, even more poignantly in the ministry of our Lord Jesus. When God came to us in human flesh in the person of our Lord Jesus, 
he does indeed grieve over the coming destruction of Jerusalem in his day. He grieves over the judgment of his people. He even weeps at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend, uh, even though he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. Um, So God does indeed have pity on his people. But his warning here is that the time is coming uh, where there will be such severe judgment that God, at least for a time, is going to withhold his pity. And, uh, and that's a very, a very stern warning that leads into that phrase, I'm weary of relenting. And then the language for the next several verses really is language of warfare and the slaying of, of young men in warfare. Husbands and sons are going to be killed in war. And, um, and it's portrayed in terms of the grief of mothers. Um, so there will be widows that are multiplied in the land. Uh, the mothers of young men are going to suffer the brunt of this calamity as the, the, the men of Judah are slain by the Babylonians. And even, even mothers who are blessed with many children, seven sons, are now going to be fainting away with grief and loneliness and, uh, and the ardor of, of uh, having to provide for themselves and make their own way uh, uh, in the world without the support of these children and, and the shame and the disgrace that that brings. Um, but even this image is a reminder that uh, there are many other passages of Scripture that connect God's compassion for his people with a, a father or a mother's compassion for for his or her children. And, uh, and so, though God is setting aside that compassion for a moment, um, we know that his deepest heart and his deepest nature is to have compassion um, even on those uh, whom he is chastening. Yeah, the, the imagery in these verses is very stark. And I, I love the way that you, you put that out, that, that you're seeing the slaying of the young men and it's being portrayed by the grief of the women who are left behind, which just makes it the all the more, I mean, just gut-wrenching of a picture that you're seeing here. And, and yet then to connect that to the imagery that we have elsewhere in the scriptures of how the Lord treats us in this way and, and how he, he gives us that same kind of love, I think it's, it's just a helpful thing to keep Jeremiah in his full scriptural context so that we don't lose hope in the midst of, of reading this. Now, in verses 10 and following, Jeremiah is going to react to this. And we see this elsewhere in the book of Jeremiah. Let's, let's listen to what the prophet has to say. And it's how the Lord interacts with him still as well. So now we're picking up in verse 10 of Jeremiah 15. Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I have not lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. The Lord said, have I not set you free for their good? Have I not pleaded for you before the enemy in the time of trouble and in the time of distress? Can one break iron, iron from the north and bronze? Your wealth and your treasures I will give as spoil without price for all your sins throughout all your territory. I will make you serve your enemies in a land that you do not know. For in my anger, a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me. And take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone, because your hand was upon me. For you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable? 
refusing to be healed. Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. That's the rest of the chapter of Jeremiah 15, verses 10 to 21. Dr. Egger, looking at the those verses as a whole, it seems there's two interactions, two back and forth between Jeremiah and the Lord, verses 10 through 14, and then verses 15 through the end of the chapter. In that in that first section, Jeremiah's, as it says in the ESV, Jeremiah's complaint is pretty pretty stark. Woe is me that you bore me. He speaks to his mother. You know, thinking back to Jeremiah's call, the Lord called him from the womb. He told him, and now Jeremiah says, "Woe is me that I was ever born." What what do we see here in this first interaction between Jeremiah and the Lord? Yeah, it's it's quite a shift here, and it's a, a little startling to hear a prophet, um, um, in a sense, uh, curse the day of his birth uh, and and wish that he had never been born. Uh, all the language of the grief of mothers and those who have born children, um, perhaps. Uh, um, feeds into this next thought now, but now Jeremiah is thinking um, not of the coming destruction on the people, uh, but he's thinking about his own place in this conversation between God and the people and what a difficult place he finds himself in. What a, what a horrendous calling, in a sense, it is. And yet a calling that's used for God's purposes and ultimately for the people's good and salvation. Um, think about the way that God has continued to use Jeremiah for centuries, even, you know, not just in this historical moment, but in the, in the time of the exile, they could cling to Jeremiah's words, um, both his words of warning so that they could understand what had happened to them, but also to his words of promise so that they could hope in restoration and return to the Lord in repentance. Uh, and yet from where Jeremiah stands, that is all hard to see. It's hard to see what use, what good purposes God will bring finally out of his words and his ministry. And so as he's in the thick of things, this is a very raw, honest comment that reveals uh, the heart of Jeremiah at this point as, uh, as he's, um, he's bringing these messages to the people unwelcome messages, as we know from the rest of the book of Jeremiah. We know from the preceding chapters that he's bringing a rare message. Most of the prophets and teachers are saying, peace, peace, everything is going to be fine. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, right? God will never abandon or forsake us. Um, and so it's, it's a very unique place that he's standing. He's, he's one true and faithful voice in the midst of a lot of lying, false promises. And it's a very hard place to be in terms of the people's reaction, their animosity towards him, and, and then God's animosity towards the people at this point. God's coming against them in such harshness. 
And so he says, after God has again declared he's coming in destruction, Jeremiah laments the day of his birth, right? Woe is me, my mother, rhetorically, he's speaking to his mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. I haven't lent, nor have I borrowed, yet all of them curse me. Um, in other words, I have not, uh, I've not dealt um, uh, unfairly with them as a lender might, nor have I asked anything from them for myself. I'm not a borrower, um, but everybody hates me. Uh, they hate me without cause. Um, but God's response is that um, that. Jeremiah's ministry is for their good, and uh, and that the message really is true. Uh, that, that verse twelve there, where it says, "Can one break iron, iron from the north and bronze?" Um, it's referring to this um, unstoppable destruction that's coming from the north, but it also um, uses this language of of unbreakable metal that God sometimes uses to describe His prophets and their words. Um, God is making Jeremiah um, um, both the content of his message, that uh, that unbreakable destruction is coming, but also the message itself is unbreakable because God himself has decreed it. And so he reminds Jeremiah uh, that uh, God himself is backing his words, you might say. And then he repeats the warning um, that enemies are coming and divine anger is about to be poured out on the people that will burn forever, it says. And so Jeremiah then, I mean, so we have a, a back and forth here between Jeremiah and the Lord. Jeremiah speaks in verse 10, words that almost seem despairing. The Lord speaks a promise, strengthens Jeremiah, and then the, Jeremiah comes back again to the Lord in, in more prayer. And, and here we start to see, I think, a little bit more confidence from Jeremiah while still asking some questions, questions I think that are born out of faith and the, the reality of what he's experiencing. He, he begins by, by saying what he knows of the Lord. And, and I mean, you know, think about the prayer at the end of chapter 14. You get some of that same confidence in the Lord here at the beginning. And and saying, Lord, this is what's true of you. This is how it's played out in my life. Before then, you know, verse 18 is, is where you start to, Jeremiah's asking some of these questions. What do we see in Jeremiah's now response back to the Lord? Yes, well, I, I, I think what you said is wonderful. That is, when his focus is on the Lord and his character, um, then his confidence grows. And when his, uh, when his eyes come back to dwell on his own situation, I suppose it's a little bit like, uh, like the cliched um, explanation of, of Peter walking on the water, but, uh, but I think it's true, right? When his eyes are on Jesus, all is fine, even though he's in the midst of this very perilous situation. Uh, it's when his eyes um, um, go down to his own feet and the wind and the waves that, uh, that he begins to waver. So here we see the wavering of faith and confidence, but also doubt and dismay in the heart of Jeremiah in this, um, uh, you might say, confession or complaint here in verses 15 through 18. Um, he begins by, by trusting in the Lord that the Lord will not forget him and will visit me. That language of visit really refers to God 
decisively acting in the world. He will come to come to Jeremiah and his situation and act decisively and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. So here, uh, on the one hand, Jeremiah is pleading to the Lord, spare this people, don't bring this destruction. On the other hand, um, especially key key individuals, but also groups within this people, uh, within the people of, of Judah and Jerusalem, they have actively resisted Jeremiah and will continue to. They are his persecutors because of his role as God's prophet. And, God, and Jeremiah is praying for vindication. Um, take vengeance for me. Vindicate me. Um, and then uh, he pleads with the Lord, uh, don't take me away. This destruction is coming. Um, are you even going to sweep me away in the midst of all this? Uh, knowing that that I've borne this reproach for you, and then he recalls his uh, his his call as a prophet. Um, when God's words first came to him, he says, uh, "I ate your words, and they became to me a joy, the delight of my heart, for I'm called by your name." Um, he's he's reflecting on what what a privilege it is to be a spokesman for God and to bear His name before the people. Um, and yet, as he's thinking about that, then in the next two verses, he, he also reflects on where that has brought him to. Um, it, it's brought great loneliness. I sat alone because your hand was upon me. You'd filled me with indignation. Um, God opening Jeremiah's eyes to the great wickedness and sin of the people caused Jeremiah, too, to be filled with indignation, an indignation that made it hard to feel like he was a part of the people and close to them. And then also the loneliness of, uh, of their rejection of him um, and his words from the Lord. And all of it becomes great, very painful. And he speaks of it in terms of physical pain. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? He sees no light at the end of the tunnel, and he wonders aloud to the Lord, um, where is all of this heading, and are you really going to be true to your word? And it's hard to know exactly what he means when he says, will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Um, but uh, but in some sense, he's just asking, are you going to see me through, Lord? Are you going to fulfill your words that I've been speaking to the people? Everyone says I'm lying and others say there's no calamity coming. Are you really going to fulfill your words? And he's maybe also wondering, will you sustain me in the face of all of this judgment? Um, can, I can I depend on you? And um, the answer to the question is, um, God will not fail him, but he wonders, uh, as any of us would wonder. Well, and I think that that's what I really like about Jeremiah is that he, he just puts it out there like that, what he's, what he's feeling, what he's thinking. And, and particularly he puts it before the Lord who, who already knows. And this is something that I've been thinking about, you know, meditating on as I've been going through Jeremiah is the place of lament in the Christian life. And, and on, on the one hand, you know, as as we get into the Lord's response in verse 19, the Lord does say to Jeremiah, if you return, I will restore you. I guess suggesting perhaps that, that Jeremiah is starting to, to wander toward faithlessness or, or 
doubt or despair. But at the at the same time, I don't think that the Lord is rebuking Jeremiah for bringing it up. I mean, the, the Lord doesn't get mad at his people for praying to him. He, he answers the prayer in, in whatever law or gospel needs to be spoken, but he doesn't get mad for the prayer being offered. And so I, I think, I mean, I find encouragement in hearing the words of Jeremiah here, that, that he just puts it out there for the Lord. And you see both things, you know, what a joy it was to, to receive your word, O Lord. And yet it's that very word that's bringing me this pain. What's going on? Why is it this way? I think in our context, maybe we run from that kind of prayer and we think that's whining. That was how another guest had, had put it previously that, you know, it sounds like whining to us, but it's not whining. It, this is the prophet of the Lord calling upon God to be true to what God has said. And I, I find it refreshing. So, I mean, feel free to respond to that. And then let's, let's start working our way into how the Lord does respond to Jeremiah. Sure. Well, the Lord Jesus himself speaks honestly to his father about um, the pain of the mission that, uh, that God has sent him to fulfill. Um, he you know, talks about in John's gospel, my heart is, is greatly troubled, right? Sorrowful, um, even to death uh, in another place, it says. And, uh, and yet, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, for this very reason I came to this hour, right? But Jesus is willing to say to the Father, um, this is hard and I'm, I'm deeply troubled. Um, and if, if Jesus can say that um, with his great strength, um, um, we know that we, we too um, are going to be in that place often in life where we, we find life just very painful and hard. And even uh, the, the proper calling and, and uh, um, the path that God has set us on um, is not always going to be rosy. Um, there's that, that children's uh, song that used to sing in vacation Bible school sometimes. Um, I'm happy, 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 happy all the time. I'm happy, 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 <laughs> happy all the time. And it goes on to talk about Jesus and how he saved me from sin. Uh, and that's wonderful. And we should be joyful that the Lord has, has taken our side and that he loves us and he's borne our sin and made such promises to us. He's given us a joy that that is enduring and that no one can take from us and yet um the christian life is not happy 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 all the time and and for for pastors god's called servants uh or the prophets in the old testament um it could be particularly painful and so uh um yeah the the, the honesty is refreshing and god's response is refreshing as well he says, if you return, I will restore you. And that doesn't have to indicate, like you said, that Jeremiah has completely turned away from the Lord or fallen from faith or something like that. That word for return could also be translated repent. And, um, and our repentance, our humility before the Lord um, is, a, is a constant and repeated um, standing before the Lord. You might even say something like, if you stand, in, if you stand penitent before me, um, I, will, I will restore you. I will, it's actually kind of a play on words there. It's basically the same uh, verb in the Hebrew. If you return, I will return you. Uh, I will bring you back. <laughs> I will, I will continually reestablish you before me. And, uh, and then this, this, and you shall stand before me. What a beautiful promise um, of the Lord to Jeremiah. He has given him this calling. He stands before the Lord. 
And really, that's a calling of all Israel. Uh, all Israel was given this this precious privilege of dwelling near to the Lord, coming near to the Lord at the temple. That's what's at stake here. That's the great tragedy of the coming destruction of the temple. And in verse 1, God said to Jeremiah, send the people away, tell them not to come near me. That's that's the judgment that's coming. But his promise to Jeremiah individually here, which is also a reflection of the heart of God for his people, um, if you return, I'll restore you and you shall stand before me. And, uh, and then he talks about uh, his call as a prophet, utter what is precious, not what is worthless, and you shall be as my mouth. And uh, I think we can all think of that as, as pastors, but also just as Christians. Um, what comes out of our mouths? Is it something that is valuable? precious or is it something that's worthless and uh and then he says to the to jeremiah they shall turn to you but you shall not turn to them and uh, uh some of them did turn to jeremiah certainly and and believed to, you know took his warnings to heart and believed the promises that he was speaking but in any case whether they turn or not uh that that second line is so important you shall not turn to them and that, there again is this language of, of turning. Um, and it's the same language before of return and I will restore. He says, he's saying to Jeremiah, turn towards me, don't turn towards the people in terms of who you're going to listen to, trust, try to please. Uh, it's a matter of um, pleasing God, not men. That's the role of God's prophet. Yeah, I mean, all of all of this at the end just sounds like a, uh, Jeremiah is receiving his call documents again, or the Lord is reminding mm-hmm. Jeremiah, remember what I told you back in chapter one. And I think verses 20 and 21, you know, very similarly, the, the Lord reminds Jeremiah of the promises that he made at the very beginning in chapter one, when he called him to be a prophet. Dr. Edgar, we've got about three minutes left on the morning for those verses and, and thoughts to wrap this up, this chapter as a whole, and how it points us to Christ crucified and risen. Yes. Well, um, Jesus can be seen, I think, in in two places uh, in this passage. He is um, he is well, really three. He's he is God Himself, right? Who's speaking these words of warning? Um, and Jesus came um, in His ministry not only with words of sweet rest, but also with uh, this this key message: repent for the kingdom of God is near. And he warned of judgment that's coming. It'll be better in that day, the, the day of the second coming of the Son of Man. It'll be better in that day for, uh, for um, you know, the people of Noah's day in the flood or for the people of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah or something. Um, because here the people have, have received the ministry of the Son of God himself and in some cases have rejected him. And so he does come with words of warning and a call to repentance. Um, but he also comes as the one who is going to stand in our place, taking destruction from God's own hand for human wickedness. And on the cross, um, the great destruction that God is warning in this passage is about to come against Jerusalem um, for the sins of Manasseh and preceding generations in Jesus Christ all the sins of Adam and Eve's children from the beginning to the end of the world are punished there on the cross in the destroying of the body of Christ. Um, Much like the temple was torn down, 
Jesus' body is torn down there on the cross. He's put to death and he's laid in the tomb. Um, He's willing to take that punishment for us. And, And because of Jesus' saving work, all of God's words of threat and damnation and destruction um, are we are shielded from. Um, Jesus saves us from the wrath to come, the New Testament tells us. And we can know that on the day of his coming, we have nothing to fear, not because we don't deserve punishment, but because Jesus himself was destroyed and raised up again for our for our forgiveness and salvation. And the last way that it points to Jesus is through the prophet Jeremiah himself, his role as one who speaks on behalf of the people and to the people and has great compassion for the people and pleads with the Lord that the Lord would spare the people. And Jesus himself is the greater intercessor who brings God's true words to us, but also brings our needs and and pleas before the Father. Dr. Thomas Egger is the president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, helping us today with Jeremiah chapter 15, verses 1 to 21. Dr. Egger, thanks so much for being our guest today. Thank you, Tim. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Jeremiah or comments on the series, please get in touch with us. Send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the app, the open mic feature there to send up to a 60-second message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.